Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Uh, today on the podcast, we feature another speaker from my sabbatical. This is actually North Shore Vineyard's very own, Ricky Moeller. Ricky heads up our Celebrate Recovery on Thursday nights at North Shore Vineyard for guys. And it is really, and I don't say this lightly, it is one of the best things that North Shore Vineyard has going. A bunch of guys that are just trying to help each other live the best life that they can. And uh, so in this message, Ricky's talking about empathy and compassion. And uh, you're going to really enjoy this. Ricky Muller, North Shore Vineyard Church. Thanks for listening. This morning, I'm really, this is probably the guy I've been most excited about to hear. Um, so, Mr. Ricky Muller, he's our speaker, so y'all give him a round of applause. That's big shoes to fill. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good. I, um, I'm excited about today. I always feel that um, when you're asked to speak that it's an honor and it's also a privilege and um, so I thank you for that. Thank Crispin for that. Um, I, um, my background here is that I do Celebrate Recovery. I've been doing Celebrate Recovery for many years. And um, that's my background uh, as far as, um, as that goes. And I, and I love it. I have a great, great group of guys here. It's just a, it's a wonderful time. We meet on Thursday night. So any men, um, you're invited. Just come and, and speak and talk. And we'll get, we'll get you through whatever you got to get through. So I got a lesson, and uh, it's something I've been working on for a little while. It's, um, it's uh, compassion, empathy and compassion. And the reason is, is that that's my struggle. I mean, I have a struggle with empathy and compassion. And so I have this little, um, my first note card says, world gone crazy. We can agree the world's going a little bit crazy. Um, I have a different spin on this. I... Um, so today I'm going to share a few stories with you. Uh, I, I don't think the world is as crazy as we sometimes make it. And uh, there's some things that I do that, that avoids those thoughts. I don't listen to the news. I don't listen to CNN. I don't listen to Fox. I haven't listened to news in probably 15 years. So um, that's one thing. I just disconnect from the nonsense. And so I don't think the world's as crazy as, as I think it is. I don't think it is. So first little story I have, I'm going to share a few stories with you. And um, first one is something I read recently. Um, I get this little news app, and this, um, this fellow was planting some grass in his yard. The, the Homeowners Association was going to fine him huge if he didn't get his grass planted. In the midst of this, he had a heart attack. So the grass was halfway done. It's the middle of July, August, whenever th- this, this happened. This is in Florida. And so the EMTs came and took him away. And then he, um, and later on that day, seven firemen and EMTs showed up and finished planting his grass for him. They just showed up and did that as, um, I guess, because they felt they felt something in their hearts that we got to help this fella out. So another story I have is for two or three years I was witness to, I was um, 
at the South Shore Vineyard in Kenner. And for two or three years, we had like a little tent city and teams of volunteers were coming in. Uh, it went on for two or three years. So every week, a new group would come in from different vineyards throughout the country. And they were doing is just gutting houses. These, these guys were coming in. They would work for a week and gut homes. And I'm going to tell you, if you ever gutted a home, it's hard work. It's really, it's miserable. And um, so, and I got to meet a lot of people. We had an uh, AA meeting going on on Monday nights, and we also had Celebrate Recovery going on on Thursday nights. So I had the privilege of meeting a lot of these, a lot of these people. And a lot of teams were coming in multiple times. Had this one group out of Iowa that I really got connected with because four or five of them were uh, alcoholics, so they would come to the meeting and they would come to celebrate recovery. And so I got to know them pretty good, and they came in quite a few times. Um, and so that's another good story. I have, of, um, I have a friend of ours. We have a friend of ours, uh, Dina, is uh, someone who really touched me. And um, so this was probably right after Katrina. Her daughter had an incident at school. She was at Schneckenberger. And um, so Dina didn't get angry. Well, we know Dina. She might have got a little angry. <laughs> but she used her anger in a positive way. She said, how can, can I help these children? She saw something through these children that there was something else going on. There was, there was some fights going on and stuff like that. How can I help these children? So what she did was she looked in and she started a program called Kids Hope. So Kids Hope, I called the church today, uh, I called yesterday and I talked with Pam. It's still going on. It's still at Schneckenberger. It is, they have 40 to 45 volunteers that show up, and the rules say one adult, one child, one hour a week. You mentor one child one hour a week. You cannot do two children because it feels good. That's the rule. The other rule is you cannot talk about God. That's the only other rule. So what that does is force the mentor to do this child and show compassion and love and empathy without talking about God. And that's pretty, it's pretty powerful to, to see that happen. And so now the program's probably over 10 years old, I'm thinking. And, um, and what I've learned, I've never mentored any of the children, but uh, the people that I've spoke to, they get connections. So they might meet them in second grade. All of a sudden, they go all the way through high school, even into uh, college with these children. So they really, they really get connected in their life. And um, just been a really wonderful program. And that started because empathy and compassion Dina saw something through these children's eyes. Um, there's a family member who's Nancy's daughter. We don't use the step word in our house, so I'd say, like, bonus daughter. So Angie goes on a trip. She goes on a trip to Haiti. I don't know how many years ago. It's been quite a few years now. Um, she goes on a trip to Haiti, and she's feeding, she's feeding children beans and rice and realizes that these children can only eat one meal a day, but they're walking miles to get one meal a day, and something happened to her. She got tugged, you know, a tug. She saw the pain through these children's eyes. She saw the empathy through these children's eyes, and through this process, she said, I have to do something. Can you put that picture up of uh, Maverick? So they started a process of adopting and it took years. I mean, they didn't have money to adopt. Uh, so it took years. It probably took three years, huh, about, um, from um, just doing fundraisers and stuff like that. And today we are grandparents to this little dude. You know what I'm saying? Pretty cool, huh? His name is Maverick. I think his name is Stop Maverick because he is, 
He is high energy, high energy. I love his energy. I love his compassion. And so if you look at him, you see he's rocking it. He's got the, the tie on. They let him dress himself. And you never know. Look, he's got matching socks. Usually that's not the case. But so he rocks it. He's uh, just high energy. So through, through this um, love and empathy and compassion, she decided to adopt a child. She's able to help one child. And, and he's been really a, a blessing in our family, that's for sure. Um, so each of these stories start because of one thing. Somebody felt something. They see something through the pain of someone else's eyes. Empathy is seen through the other person's eyes. And um, so as they see this pain, they do something about it. That's called compassion. Compassion is really taking the action. So don't confuse empathy with sympathy. Not looking for sympathy. Empathy feels compassion. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy feels connection. I'm sorry. Sympathy drives disconnection. Compassion is taking action. So that's what each of these stories. So whether it be Dina or Angie, and I miss one story, and I got to, I got to, I really, this is an important, okay. I can't, I got to, I got to read this story. A friend of ours walks in. We've been doing Celebrate Recovery here. April made three years. So we're in our fourth year now. A friend of ours walks in one day early. This is when we first started. Angry as you don't know angry. I mean, I could see it. He could, you could feel the tension in the room. And um, he was mad. And, he, um, and he, he shared with us that I haven't spoken to my son in six years. And he had these reasons why. And so I've been through... I could see the anger. I, I, I went to therapy for four years for anger. So four years working on anger, and I could sense his anger. I could see what was going on with him. And, um, and I didn't speak to my mom for 10 years, so I also had that going on in my life. And I, I said, I think we can help you. I think we can get through this. And I, I told him, I said, if you ever speak to your son, it'll, it'll make me feel like what we do on Thursday night is worth it. And I, I, I tell you, two weeks ago, he spoke to his son for three hours on the phone, y'all, three hours. Isn't that incredible? So, listen, that's just one story. These are small stories. Uh, these are small stories in a big, big, giant iceberg of stories. If, 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 I, was, if I had, like, a, a, a Times Ricky Yoon, it would be all good stories. It wouldn't have any, I wouldn't have any bad stories. So I, I think I'm going to start that. Times Ricky Yoon. And uh, they got a building as... Is open on Earhart. Nobody's there. So I'm confused. Everything. Okay. So Matthew 6.14 says, Forgive those who sin against you. Your heavenly Father will forgive you. So why am I talking about forgiveness? I honestly, truly believe that without forgiveness, we cannot have empathy. I really believe that. I'm speaking for my own self, too. If I'm not in a place of forgiveness, I can definitely not have empathy because I'm in that grouchy, growly, uh, mood like that. And um, so in recovery, what will happen is you will at some point have to do some forgiveness. At some point it's going um, to happen. You're going to have to deal with that. So we talk about forgiveness as a reason to have empathy and compassion. Uh, so l- listen to this. It is easy. It is easy to have empathy and or compassion for someone you love. Very easy. What about if you don't like them? What if it's somebody you really, truly can't stand? This is my struggles. And so uh, when we get to that place, this is where the work comes. And I tell you, you can 
Take a moment and think of one person right now that you can't stand, that you don't have a empathy or compassion for, like what they're going through. So uh, think about that for a reason. I was talking about this at dinner the other night, and my son says, I'm just like you. I can, I can sense that. Um, so I'm going to read this. I can't pick it up because all my cards are going to fall. Um, so I have a recovery Bible, and, and what it does is there's uh, interpretations of readings. So this reading is Matthew 6, 12 through 15. So it says, true forgiveness is an essential part of any recovery program. I honestly believe we're all in recovery. We're all in some kind of recovery. Um, amen to that. We often have dif- difficulties, however, asking God's forgiveness. Wait, getting, we often have difficulty getting past our anger and bitterness towards those who have mistreated or abused us. I am not saying this is easy. I've worked with people for years, and it's very difficult to get through uh, people who have mistreated or abused us. It's very difficult. Uh, However, asking God's forgiveness for our personal shortcomings and sins is hypocritical. Uh, Unless we are willing to forgive others, uh, we forfeit forgiveness from God's denying forgiveness to others uh, to the detriment of our recovery program. This is not only selfish, but it is, self, it is self-destructive also. What it makes me think is that I don't want to be hypocritical. So I don't want to sit up here and tell you something that is easy, and it's not easy. Look, I've worked with people. I've, I remember teaching at CR one, one night across the lake, and one girl says, what if somebody sexually abused you? And I said, I, I don't have the answers. I did not have the answers, but I felt it in my heart that this girl was going through something and um, she was able to work with the girls, and I think she's getting there. I think it's, I think it's working, um, but I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's a lot, a lot of work is, is what it is. Um, but I can tell you through my own experience, I had some difficulties with my dad when I was younger, and I had to work through that forgiveness. And it took me about three months in therapy to work through that forgiveness. And he never knew I was working on it. So what I did, I avoided him for three months. And then when I got through the process, I was able to go in. He, worked, he had a hardware store in Kenner. And I hugged him and kissed him. And just and it was okay. I, like, I just got through it. But it was a process. I mean, I, it really was. It wasn't, it wasn't easy for, for me at all. I have a little thing. I have a friend of mine who I worked in recovery with for many years. His name is Bo Laviole. And he is... Um, He's a wonderful teacher. He's a wonderful speaker. He's a wonderful therapist. And he has a rule. He's got a 25% rule. Now, this is not set in stone. This is more generalized than anything else. So 25% of the people that you, in your life, 25%, may like you at first, but then change their mind. They will like you at first, but then change their mind. I, I, I think what happens is we hit it off quick, and then we find out we don't have anything. I call this dating. This is what dating is all about. So, you know, when Nancy and I started dating, we've known each other for since we were five or six years old, and I've always loved her, but I never knew what she was until we started dating. We got to know each other, and um, so I call that dating. The next 25% says they might not like you at first, but change their mind. This happens in group on Thursday all the time. Someone new walks in, they have their own issues, or you can feel a little tension going on, but as we get to know this person, you feel love, you feel compassion, you feel that empathy, you feel that going on. We, like you, the group starts seeing through this person's eyes. They start seeing that 
I can, I can understand the pain you're going through. And they share their fears and they share their struggles and they share all of that with each other. And, and, it, and it changes. So they don't, we don't like them at first, but then we start to love them. We start to love them in the end. The next 25% says they will love you unconditionally, no matter what. Unconditionally. There's people in your life that you will love and people who love you unconditionally. Uh, usually it's family or close friends, very close friends. And so uh, what do we do with that? I mean, that's, that's easy to get through. There's another 25% that you will never, ever be able to please, ever, no matter what you do. The problem is we will give our attention to that person or persons more than anyone else. I call that the camellia effect. So I'm gonna, I will turn into whatever I need to and to make that person like me because I don't like not being liked. So there's so much energy to do that that it actually distracts from the ones we love the most. So I have exercise for you this week. It's not a hard exercise, but I have an exercise for you. Make a list. So make a list this week. It's probably going to be a short list. Make a list. could be one person of someone that you love or knows that loves you unconditionally and put your attention Put all your energy to that person or persons. It could be a cup of coffee. It could be a text. It could be a letter you write, a card you send. It could be whatever it is. Um, but focus on that person to take away from trying to be a chameleon, trying to get people who are never going to like you to like you. And just focus your energy on the ones that love you most. And that's, um, that's a really good exercise, by the way. Okay. So in recovery, we talk about our minds. The minds drive the bus. This thing runs the ship. So we often say when someone's going through something, I say, who's driving your bus? It's a a term we use. Who's driving your bus? What's driving your bus? So what do we do? How do we think, how do we use this energy and transform? How do we transform from the ways of the world and transform into this? Uh, Romans 12.2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, turn Fox News and CNN off. <laughs> I'm telling you, don't watch TV. You can do whatever you want to do. But I'm telling you what worked for me. Uh, so don't conform to the patterns of this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I was in therapy for four years. The first therapist I saw, his name was Tony DeGeorge. And the first thing he told me was, Ricky, you better change the way you think, boy, because you are driving yourself Batty. Your thoughts are making you cuckoo. So I had to change the way I thought. He says, you're thinking in this direction. We're going to switch your mind and start thinking this direction. He taught me how to meditate. He taught me how to pray, which is when I like when faith does the meditation. I just, I just love that. It's a place to, it's a way to center myself. Uh, taught me how to meditate, taught me how to pray, taught me how to work through the anger that I needed to work through, and taught me how to start thinking in a different direction. And so be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. God's will is pleasing and perfect. My will is all discombobulated. So whenever I'm in God's will, my life is going pretty well. Whenever I'm in my will, it, it, it unravels real quick for me. So there's an exercise that um, there's a book that's called The Seven-Day Mental Diet. Has anybody ever done The Seven-Day Mental Diet? Well, we got some work to do. (laughs) 
This is a book written by an author named Emmett Fox. So this came out in the 30s, and it still holds good today. He has, actually has a few books out that are, that are just incredible. Um, so as the saying goes, we are what we eat. Healthy is healthy. Sugar is, well, I like sugar, okay? So <laughs> were y'all here a few weeks ago for Doug Anderson? Okay, Doug said, let's try and find a new way to say I love you. So this is what I come up with. Nancy, if you was a cake, I would be your buttercream icing. <laughs> Nancy, if you were peanut butter, I would be your Reese cup. <laughs> so all my stuff pertains to food, you see. I don't know. That's just, that's just the way it is for me. That's the best I can come up with. Doug was really, really good. So listen, sugar is not good for us, but we still do it. Um, so we are what we are. We are what we eat. The most important food, the most important meal is the mental food that we furnish in our minds. That's the most important, that's the most important meal. It changes everything. It is the basis of recovery. It really is absolutely true. We talk about this all the time. It determines the whole character of your life. Your thoughts determine the whole character of your life. It drives the bus. The heart changes when the mind changes. We can, if we can change the mind, we can change the heart, right? So that's what, we, that's what we need to do. Um, our thoughts drive our moods. We can't be healthy, happy, and prosperous if we are sulky, surly, and cynical. Say that five times. Listen, I can get sulky, surly, and cynical really, really fast. But I like being healthy, happy, and prosperous. It takes, takes more work for me to do that. If we want our lives to be happy, worthwhile, which is actually what God wants, we must begin now to train ourselves in the habit of thought selection and thought control. Whew, that is a lot easier said than done. I, I will promise you this. So I did this exercise about six months ago, and I, I did well. I thought oh, the whole week was really good for me. So the exercise is seven days, one week. I'm not saying start tomorrow. I'm not saying start today. Seven days, one week. And you can look up this book on, I got it on um, my uh, iBooks. And you can get the audio version. is probably oh, maybe 12 to 20 minutes long, so it's real short. Uh, listen, but the information is a lot more. I can't go into the details because it takes a long time to study, study all of that. Um, but seven days, one week to vote, one week solely to the task of building new thought habits. And it's not easy. The author will actually tell you it's worse than running a marathon. So I did it probably six months ago. I didn't, and you don't tell anybody when you're doing this because... You don't want your, your husband or your wife saying, well, I thought you was thinking good this week when you just snapped at them. Well, this isn't working. You don't want to hear that. Um, so I did the exercise, and I did really well. I was in. I really prayed about it and asked God, take me through this process, help me through this process. And then I started the process, and my rides across the causeway weren't much nicer. I was slowing down to 64. That's Al's speed, 64. <laughs> Slowing down, taking my time, enjoying life. See, the colors were bright. It was really good. So then I said, this week, since I'm teaching, I'm going to do it this week. And Wednesday, I melted down and failed miserably. So it, uh, I have to start over, and I will do that um, when I pray about it and, and ask God to help me through the process. It is a really tough process, by the way, but it is a really blessed process because of our thoughts are always... If we're having lunch with somebody and they're in a, you know, they're feeding us all this information, just let the information go. Just take it in and let it go. Just don't entertain the, the, the stuff. But I would say get the book, 
look at the audio book and then um, and see where it takes you. Let me know how, how you do with it if you, if you wind up doing it. Um, so that's some information. That's uh, a short lesson. I don't really have long lessons. I just think that um, I, not only do I lose you, but I lose my train of thought real quick. So um, I will tell you this. It's, a, it's an honor and privilege to be here today. And I do have to admit, Faith, that um, you're beautiful. My sweet, sweet song is a song that touches my heart every time. Um, my dad passed about 16, 17 years ago. He was on a cruise. And then I had to meet with Phil, and we had all my brothers and sister, and we meet with Phil, and they play that song, and it just bangs me. Every time I hear it, I start, I get all weepy, you know, and so you play it today, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, Lord, I can't, I, and so it really does touch my heart. And let me tell you, worship touches us in many, many ways. It, that song really touches my heart. So um, anyway, thank you all for being here for my recovery, and uh, I want to pray us out, and then uh, we'll let you go and have a great Sunday, okay? Father God, please, um, I thank you for your will. I thank you for your power and your grace that you instill in our, in our lives and in our hearts. Uh, help us think better this week. Help us love better this week. Help us have, see empathy through people we do not like. Um, and, and just love the ones who love us most. Help us do that this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all. Of uh, for prayer, huh? I'm okay. Okay. All right. Y'all excused. <laughs>